Hey Venture, it's great to see those of you who are joining us physically for worship in the room today. It's also great to see those of you who are joining us online for worship today. I am actually joining you today from a distance myself. I'm in Boston. Actually, we're gonna jump around several New England states today. Why? Well, because of your generosity and giving, Venture Christian Church has a fingerprint here. Your giving has fueled some amazing church plants in New England, and you're gonna meet a couple of them today, actually. But only after I introduce you to a friend at Restoration House Ministries in Manchester, New Hampshire. Bob Miller, who is the director of their church planting efforts, you're gonna to get to meet him to learn all about this incredible ministry and the mission that Venture supports. Your giving here at Venture fuels our missions giving and is doing some amazing things here in New England. I wanna celebrate that today. Let's learn all about it right now. So we're standing here in beautiful Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, right outside of what we love and know as Restoration House Ministries. And of course, I'm standing here with Bob Miller. Bob is a Midwestern guy, a Bible Belt guy who felt God tugging at your heartstrings to come out here to be part of the Northeast. Right, What's director of church planting. Uh-huh, which is a big deal here at Restoration House because this is kind of what we exist to do here. That's right? exactly right. Six New England states. Correct. List them off. Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Gallup will identify New England as the most unchurched, post-religious region of the country. To me, that sounds like the kind of place you want to circle and target to plant some churches in. Yes, sir. Yeah. We literally could throw somebody out of an airplane anywhere over New England, and the chances are we'd need a church there. People in New England are spiritually alert but they're religiously adverse. <laughs> you know, they love Jesus, but they hate religion and rules and uh -huh. regulations and that sort of thing. We have 15 million people in New England yeah. and only about 5% of them would have any kind of a relationship with Jesus that they would consider to be personal and vital to their life. So 14 and a half million people who are still far from God. I can tell you story after story of people who will come into church and say, hey, um, how much does it cost to go here? Or, preacher, who is that Paul guy? Is he on staff? Because people talk about him, but I've not met him yet. One of my favorite stories is the woman who was giving piano lessons to a high school student, and she came in, she said, I like this saying on your wall, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Well, why do you like that? Well, I like it because it really talks about what's important. But you know what I really like about it? I like that he put his name on and dated it, Matthew 621. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Across the United States in the restoration movement, we have one Christian church for every about 50,000 people. In the Bible Belt, in Indiana, Illinois, Tennessee, we have one Christian church for every 14 to 25,000 people. In New England, when I came here, we had one Christian church for every 875,000 people. Wow. And now, by God's grace, um, we have one Christian church for every 600,000 people. And every church we plant drops that number by about 50,000. So that's pretty cool. 
Restoration House was birthed out of a passion for Jesus and for people who are far from God. That's how this came about. It's why I'm here, why my wife Carol and I came here, because we wanted to see people who are far from God come closer to Him. For people to be able to find their identity in Christ, it's transformative. It's life-changing, and that's what we're about. We talk about changing the spiritual landscape of New England. We're talking about changing homes and hearts. So True Northeast, tell me what that's all about. What's, what's... Well, True Northeast um, Church Multiplication is our campaign that we're kicking off right now, where we intend to launch at least two churches a year for the next three years. And the more that we can multiply, the more people whose lives will be transformed. And the True Northeast campaign is focusing on prayer and partnership and the pipeline and bringing people together, you know, to, to multiply our impact yeah. uh, for Christ and for Venture to be a part of that process. Healthy churches that are multiplying, spreading their influence across the region. You know, we talk about numbers all day long, but we're really talking about transformed lives. We're talking about restored lives. We're talking about restored marriages, restored people's wholeness. We're talking about restored communities, neighborhoods, and then the whole region. So you have, you over the years have supported Bridgepoint Christian Church down in Providence that's now eight years old and is running pre-COVID 600. You know, you've been part of Reunion and Renaissance, which you're gonna talk to them. You're uh, transferring uh, your partnership over to Love 802 in Rutland, and we'll talk to those folks uh, while you're here. The church is God's instrument for transforming lives, right? We're the messengers. We're the ones who carry the, the covenant of promise and of hope into people's lives. We're the ones who demonstrate the love of Jesus by how we live, work, and play, and how we communicate that love to other people. So. We were literally in the middle of recording this conversation and his phone vibrated uh, at uh, 9.38, yeah. right? And from Matthew 9.38, where Jesus said, pray that the Lord would send harvesters into the field. Yeah, prayer is vital. Prayer is vital to the history of Restoration House, but it's also vital to every plant that we start. Everyone has to be built by God. It can't be man-made or just our own intelligence or smarts or, or dollars. It's God working in the lives and the hearts of people. Every day you wake up and you pray for one, God, give me one person today to share and show your love to. What would happen if we would all do that? If we wake up every day with a sense that God has given us a message, He's given us a gift that He's asking us to pass on to somebody else, and every day we wake up and we're saying, God, give me one person today, we don't know who that's going to be. We don't know where it's going to be, but we're expecting God to use us. And when he answers that prayer, lives are changed. Daddies are changed. Mamas are changed. Families are changed. Neighborhoods are changed. Communities are changed. A culture can be changed. When God's people are called on mission, yes. uh, what this is, this, this is a movement. Yes. We're, we're, we're called to take the gospel. Uh, into our areas of influence, regardless of where we live, uh, and, and partner together uh, yeah. to advance His kingdom. And what you and I might be able to do individually is multiplied exponentially when we work together as a church. And then when churches work together, 
you partner with us, you provide prayers and you provide support and, and you promote our, our efforts in New England, we're better together. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so much well, thank for you. your willingness to, to share and we love getting to partner yeah. with you guys and uh, we will continue to pray that God does amazingly more than we could ask or even imagine. Absolutely. In church planting here in New England. Thank you so much for your and time. And come visit us. Thank you, Bob. Venture, God is doing some amazing things through your generosity. If you're a business person, I'm sure you know a thing or two about ROI. If you're not familiar with that acronym, here's what it means. Return on investment. I don't know if you've ever thought about that in relationship to Jesus Church, but it is an investment. Jesus himself invested deeply in the church he gave his life for her, actually. And the church is worthy of our investment as well. I've heard it said, the church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this, describing himself. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And for almost 2,000 years now, Jesus has used the church as his vehicle to reach and to nurture and empower and then in turn redeploy as local missionaries his people that he has redeemed. He's used his church in amazing ways and there's a lot riding on God's church. We take this investment very seriously. Actually, we've been investing in church planting here for a while now. Did you know that our church, through your faithful giving, has helped resource a church plant right here in Boston. Actually, I sat down with a couple of pastors with Renaissance Church, and they're gonna catch us up now on your return on investment. So I'm here with Drew Thurman, who is a pastor, Renaissance Church, in the kind of the greater Boston area. Where are we right now? We're in Waltham. And we were just kind of talking, looking around. He's pointing out the place. Huge vision here for not just what God has been doing, but what he's getting ready to do. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. You guys have been financial supporters helping us actually do this work the last few years. So if it wasn't for churches like you, we wouldn't be on the ground getting to celebrate some of those wins. So thank you so much. Yeah, we showed up and just said, what if we, we operated in a missional heartbeat like those who were missionaries and flew across the body of water in a cross-cultural setting? And so yeah. we embedded ourselves in the rhythms and rituals of the people around us. Uh -huh. And we began to ask ourselves two basic questions. What is good news for the people of our city? Right. And what would the church look like as an ambassador of that good news? And th those were humble beginnings. It was, it was very slow. We didn't have lots to show for it initially, but out of it, we ended up launching what we would call our first micro church. Uh -huh. A bunch of people from our neighborhood here, most of them were over church and especially a Sunday morning version of the church. And we were able to start a church community in a living room. And then since then, we have uh, been teaching other people to do the same thing. Rather than just assuming that our experience was normative, uh, Boston's really a very microcultural place. There's uh, a confluence of so many different traditions, so many different cultures, so many different people. You can literally, it changes neighborhood to neighborhood, 
street to street, block to block. And so what if we trained other people to do the same thing where they live, work, and play? And we really diversified and we started micro churches all over and then we huddled together once a month uh, in a larger fashion to worship and support one another. So we actually talk a lot about uh, that we have a food truck version or vision of the church. So if a That's typical good. church plant is like a restaurant where it's run by culinary uh, professionals in our sense, and a church a seminary professional that's worried about the experience, having this, all these awesome offerings so that people will have a great time, uh, are getting fed with the kingdom of God, and they end up coming back and inviting their friends. We said, what if we actually, you know, kind of release people and actually like a fleet of food trucks go where people actually live, work, and play? They're, it's a lot more humble. They, all, they aren't all flashy. They don't all look uh, awesome in many ways, the things that they're offering, but they're mobile. They're run by normal, ordinary people, and uh, it's, they go where people are at. I love that. And so that's kind of what's ended up happening. We are releasing food trucks, these micro churches all across the city yes. to bring the church where people are actually doing their life. We actually grew during COVID, believe it or not. So yeah. all my, a lot of my friends were uh, kind of lamenting. We, we, they, they'd have gotten a lease or had a space that they couldn't fill. We, we never came in and did any of that. So we actually grew and we've uh, since, we're actually got a bunch of micro churches on the horizon that, are, that we've been training during COVID yep. who are getting ready to launch. And that. so we could not, Praise be, God. yeah, we could not be more excited about that. And uh, we've actually got some really cool ones that are beginning, uh, some people that are connecting to kingdom work in ways that they never dreamed. Uh, I've got a cohort right now that meets uh, on Tuesday nights. And just this, this last week, we had people saying, I never had felt permission. I'd sat in a pew or I'd sat in a chair and always felt guilty, or I'd just been a parking lot attendant or, or handed out bulletins. Now I'm like engaging my neighbors or I'm, I'm seeing this justice cause being changed in my neighborhood. I'm feeling released to be the church in a way that I, I thought you had to have a seminary degree to do. One of my favorite things that we get to do is just release people to be the priesthood of all believers that we read about in the New Testament. I love it. Which is awesome. The church is not dead here in Boston. The church is very much alive. It's very alive. And God's using you guys to do some cool things. It's been a, been a privilege for our church um, to get to be a part of it, even from a distance and to have a little bit of a fingerprint. Thank you so much. Appreciate all you're doing. Yeah, well, and thank you guys. Thanks guys. As you can tell, I'm standing in front of an old church building in Charlestown, Massachusetts, right across the Charles River from Old Town, Boston. It's a five minute walk that direction to Bunker Hill Monument, and it's a five minute walk that direction to the USS Constitution. If you remember your pre-Revolutionary War history, perhaps you remember that church buildings played a significant role in those early days of our nation's history, leading up to the Revolutionary War. For example, the Old North Church is less than a mile that direction, and it's the location from which that famous one if by land, two if by sea signal is said to have been sent. This phrase, of course, is related to Paul Revere's Midnight Ride of April 18, 1775, which preceded the Battle of Lexington and Concord during the American Revolution. Perhaps you remember, Paul Revere told three Boston patriots to hang two lanterns in the steeple. 
And then the lanterns were displayed to send a warning to Charlestown Patriots across the Charles River, right over here where I'm standing, about the movements of the British Army. Like I said, church buildings played an important role in those early days of the birth of our country. So did the churches themselves. My mom used to teach me to change the words of the popular finger play that we learned as kids in Sunday school. And it went, here is the church building, here is the church steeple, open the doors and the church is the people. God has been using his church, the people, to advance his cause globally for a long time now. This is why it's especially painful for me to see beautiful old church buildings that were, I presume, thriving gospel life-saving stations at one time. Well, like this one that I'm standing in front of, reduced to museums. Or worse, a dollar store. Instead of advancing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with the timeless treasure we hold in our hearts, it's selling cheap trinkets produced, I'm sure, in sweatshops, probably by what we would consider modern-day slave labor. I don't know about you, but I grieve this. A fundamental question to ask today. As we dream about church planting and our part in the investment of new churches, is why does the church exist? You ever ask yourself that important question? Is it to entertain us? Is it to provide programs for us to be involved in? Is it to babysit the kids on Sunday morning while parents catch up on their sleep? No, no, and of course not. Fundamentally, I, I believe the church is on this earth for three primary reasons. Get ready, I'm getting ready to drop some big old theological words on you. God's church exists for, number one, the glorification of God. Number two, the edification of the saints. And number three, the evangelization of the world. We could sum it up this way. Upward, inward, and outward. Upward. The church exists to bring glory to God. That's not only true of us in a worship service, but it's also true of us in life. Whatever Christians do, they should be able to bring glory to God in their careers, in their marriages, and in all the choices they make in life. The church was created to bring pleasure to God and to bring glory to His name, inward. The church also exists for the edification or the building up of the saints. That's you and me. This is why we give such a prominent place to Bible study and fellowship here at Venture. We've always done that, and we will always do that. Not only does the edification of the saints include Bible study, but it also consists in the encouraging of one another. This is why we celebrate small groups and ABF classes. Hey, our, our church should be better than Cheers, which is here in Boston, that bar where everybody knows your name. Our church really should be a place to know and to be known. This is why I've been encouraging you for the last several weeks now to bring your favorite coffee mug to the church with you on Sunday, to share it with the rest of your church family. In exchange then, you use one that another member of your church family has brought. Fill it up with a great cup of coffee and then visit, connect with each other. I would love for Venture to be known in our community as the church where everybody knows your name, as the church where we see you. 
than outward. The church exists for the evangelization of the world, which is really the outgrowth, if you think about it, of the first two. Outward results from a healthy church focus on upward and inward. As believers are glorifying God and being built up in the church, they evangelize the world and fulfill Jesus' great commission. You find that in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Then, if you skip ahead from the first book of the New Testament to the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we find the words of Jesus to a sick church that wasn't fulfilling its purpose. The church, the church of Sardis had a great reputation, but no reality and no real reach. They were sick and dying and they didn't even know it. In other words, they looked like a beautiful brick building on the outside, but on the inside, they were filled with, with cheap trinkets. They were already in the process of losing their vision, their mission, their core values. Here's what Jesus said to them about the problems that they were developing. This is Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. I know all of the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. This wasn't a lazy or inactive church. They weren't slackers. They had a name, and a name that was known far and wide, actually. This church probably was humming with activity. There was no shortage of money or talent or manpower. Outwardly, there was every indication of a church that was on the move, but a problem was developing that only Jesus could see. They were not filling, fulfilling their purpose. Jesus told the church of Sardis that they were dying, but they didn't realize it yet. Hear me. People who are dying spiritually usually are the last to know. They think everything is fine. They think they're doing just great. They can rationalize every decision they've made even when those decisions are wrong. They think they're doing fine when in reality, they're already dying. We can do all the right things outwardly and we can still be spiritually dying. We can sing worship songs perfectly. We can pray eloquently. We can dutifully take notes on sermons that we hear and we even know our Bibles quite well. But there can be a spiritual deadness about it all. It, it is possible to be in the church and not really believe. And in effect, Sardis was a non-believing church. In his excellent Life Insights book on the book of Revelation, author Chuck Swindoll outlined the marks of a dead church, including the following. Number one, it worships the past. Number two, it is inflexible and resistant to change. And number three, it often has lazy leadership. Church, that God called me to faithfully minister to and to serve with, I'm all for reflecting on what God has done, but I refuse to live in the past. That's not healthy for individuals. And as you can tell behind me, it's not healthy for churches. It's hard for me to miss the point we're making here. I'm standing in a location where I bet 
tens of thousands of tourists, not to mention folks that live right here in this neighborhood, tons of people who don't know Jesus and desperately need a healthy church to reveal Him to them. A ton of people walk right past here. They have a pretty building that sells cheap trinkets. Hear me, venture, church family, we need to be in the present. We always need to be planning for the future. And this is probably especially true today as our world emerges from a global culture-shaping and reshaping pandemic. The problem in the church today is that sometimes we're flexible where we need to be inflexible, and we're inflexible when we need to be flexible. Here's what I mean. We should be inflexible on the essentials, which are the teaching of the Word of God, the worship and the glorification of God. We just talked about that in evangelism. These are the essentials. We need to be inflexible there. But we also need to be flexible with non-essentials. And by that, I mean style. People get hung up on styles of music, embracing new technology and all kinds of things along those lines. Let's be flexible where we can be flexible. Don't change the essentials, but be flexible with the way that they are expressed. Culture changes rapidly around us. Come on, you know that. And if we're not flexible, if we don't change with the times to bring the culturally relevant message of Jesus, to answer the questions that our friends and family who are far from God are actually asking, well, it's just a matter of time before beautiful buildings that house a vibrant, alive, culture-changing church become something else. If these marks of spiritual deadness are evident in a church or an individual's life, here is Jesus' prescription for spiritual renewal. Remember Jesus' challenge to the church in Revelation? Wake up, strengthen what little remains. Go back to what you've heard and believed at first. Hold on to it firmly. Repent and turn to me, he said again. If you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly, as unexpectedly, as a thief. So first we need to wake up. In other words, we need to recognize something is seriously wrong. Then we need to strengthen the things that remain. The word strengthen means to stabilize that which is frail. Jesus is in effect saying, stay with me, church. Stay with me. Don't give up now. Next, and this is very important. We need to be watching for the return of Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus said, if you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. I think how people react to the imminent return of Christ is a true spiritual barometer of where they are with God. I recently heard a business leader, a CEO, say this, churches are dying, but when churches are in trouble, God shows up. I firmly believe this is true. But are you watching for him? Are you eagerly expectant of him showing up? And we need to invest in the future. Come on, invest in new churches to replace the dying ones. Every year in America, more than 4,000 churches close their doors compared to just over 1,000 new churches that are starting. And he often uses his people, remember, the church, to advance his kingdom here on earth. Hey, we're doubling down on our investment here. Would you like to meet our new investment in New England? As we wrap up our message today, come along with me to a cool place called Rutland, Vermont.
All right, so here we are in Rutland, Vermont. I'm with Braden and Lindsay Etchison. They are church planters. Oh my goodness, our church is now investing in them and what God is doing, yes. what we're <laughs> dreaming about him doing, doing right here in Rutland. Tell us about the name of your church. Tell us about your dreams. What, what, what's going on? Yeah, so we're called Love 802. And the reason we're called Love 802 is because Vermont is made up of one area code and it's okay. the 802 area code. And Rutland is, is the second largest standalone town in Vermont. That's where we are. And by the grace of God, a property became available and a church that was actually closing its doors for the last time decided to give the keys over to a new work. And so we're blessed with 14 acres and a building here. So we have had the call of church planting on our hearts for a long time. Braden and I have been in vocational ministry for about 15 years now, and we've always had a heart to come out to New England. So we wanted to come out here and help to just change the spiritual landscape of New England, knowing how few churches were out here. So as we started praying about it and figuring out what we were gonna do, Vermont came to mind. Mm -hmm. We came out here, we fell in love. Uh, this building and property became available. So we were planning to church plant out here when COVID hit. So we are called by God to start a brand new church in the least church state in the country. And at the time when we started online, it was in the middle of the pandemic, middle of unprecedented economic distress and civil unrest. And we're just like, it, why not now? If ever there's a time, let's just start a church now that in the least like church that. state in the country. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we are so fortunate. We have partnered with Restoration House Ministries out of New Hampshire, and they have been just incredible in their partnership. So we came out here in August of 2020, and as much as we wanted to get, you know, hit the ground running with opening a building, renovations needed to be done. Yeah. The pandemic was going on. So we learned how to do things digitally. Yep. So we are doing services each and every week that we film and broadcast out. Love 802, we, we have a heartbeat for the 802, this area code, the people of Vermont. And so we pray, we set our alarms every day at 802 in the morning and in the evening. We just pray for God to do an awakening spiritually for the people of Vermont and New England. So each and every day at 802, it goes off. And I love we that. Pray. So that's an action step. Our folks could do that, could partner Absolutely. with you. Yeah. Set your phone, your smartphone to 802 alarm. And when it goes off, simply pray for Rutland, Vermont. That's right. Pray for Braden, pray for Lindsay, pray for... God's doing amazing things. You're having like 300 plus people joining you online, yeah. right? For worship and- yeah. People here in the 802, which is incredible to have friends and family and even people we don't even know personally from all over. What we wanna be is a church that you experience the love of God in, not just by coming into our walls, mm -hmm. but the type of church where you experience uh, the love of God by driving through our town. Um, this is a town with a lot of needs, yeah. spiritually and, and physically, and we really want to help um, partner with the community leaders to, to create a citywide portrait of the love of God. We yeah. agree with our neighbors that we love this community. <laughs> we agree with them. So we're loving Rutland because we're called to love our neighbor. They love Rutland because they live in Rutland. <laughs> right. And so there's a lot of opportunities where those two can yeah. intersect. And it's been an incredible opportunity just as we've come out here. It's a family mission for us. We've got yeah. three kids and, you know, just the five of us plus the rest of the people that join us in this great work. Like, it's really neat. It's really neat to see that love be able to spread in, in all different areas. Wherever you're at right now, maybe you're joining us from home and you're on a couch. Would you maybe go to your knees uh, and pray? 
for this couple. Pray for the, the church that's being planted here. Those of you who are joining us in the room right now, would you actually do me a favor? Would you just maybe reach your hands out and uh, let's pray over them. You join me in prayer as we as the church pray over this new church plant that God is raising up right here. Let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, let's go to our God in prayer. God, I thank you. I thank you that we get to be a part of a global movement that you started a couple thousand years ago. And it's not dead. It's still moving. It's still growing. You are growing your church and you are pushing history forward actively. So God, I thank you uh, even to get to hear exciting stories. It encourages my heart uh, to hear what you're doing in and through uh, Braden and Lindsay and what's happening right here in Rutland, Vermont. And so I pray for them. I pray that you give them encouragement, mm -hmm. that you give them wisdom, that you give them uh, discernment, that you give them endurance uh, as they do the hard work I know of church planting. Use them in amazing ways, but Lord, do it for, for your glory, uh, for your purposes, as you advance your kingdom further uh, through your local church. God, we pray that in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.